Go ahead and take out your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Psalms tonight as we continue our series, uh, Songs for Our Heart. And tonight, we're going to be looking at a, one psalm, Psalm 16. And I've titled the message, Song of the Content. So if we get that up there. Right there. All right. And so as you all turn to Psalm 16, let's ask the Lord to bless our study. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, as we go to this psalm, may it just speak to our heart, Lord. We live in a world that is uh, built around us being discontent, uh, built upon us being unfulfilled and unsatisfied, Lord. Um, Even when we are satisfied, the enemy sneaks around trying to convince us that we're not. Lord, speak to us tonight from your word. Show us how that we can, we can be completely satisfied and content and that we would seek that in you, Father God, in Jesus' name, amen. Why is it so hard to find contentment though, right? Am, am I the only one that finds it hard to, to, when I'm content to keep it? It seems like every time that there's something that promises, oh, that's all you'll ever need, and then you'll be just fine. I've worked in technology for so many years, and the whole technology business is all about the next version, the next software update, the next big thing. And the only way to continue to get people to upgrade and to move on is to tell them what you have isn't good enough. You have to upgrade. You have to uh, get a new one all over again. It seems, though, that we're convinced that if you just fulfill that need, that one desire, you would be satisfied, right? It's, it's that idea, scratch the itch and it'll go away. But that never happens, does it? Or was I the only one that grew up with my mom telling me, stop scratching. It'll, it, it'll take longer to heal if you don't stop scratching. And when you get a bug bite and whatnot, it's just the worst. Not all things bring the ability to be content. Not all things satisfy, not all things were meant to satisfy. Ever since the garden, we've seen this truth played out. You see, Adam and Eve had everything that they ever needed, everything they ever desired. They were in paradise. They had everything. They could eat from any tree they wanted, except for one. There was one that God said, you can't have that one. And so as they had everything that they needed, when they saw that there was one thing that they didn't have, and then the serpent came and spoke to them and said, wait a minute, you can't have that one? Why not? You should be able to have that one. And and I believe that there was a lot more words than what's recorded in Genesis that was said. It wasn't just so much, hey, what's going on here? Oh, well, God told us this. Did he really say that? I have a feeling that it's like, oh, well, you know, God just doesn't want you to be happy. God said you were going to die. He didn't really mean you were going to die. He just, said, he just said that to keep you away from it. He doesn't want you touching his tree. And Adam, or I'm sorry, and Eve, when she heard that, you know what it says? It turns around and it says, when she saw that the tree was good for food and desirable, she took and she ate. Tempted by the thought of missing out. That's why we're discontent. We have everything we need and then we see somebody else with something and we're like, I wish I had that. 
I had this uh, friend that I used to hang out with. He, he was part of our youth group. And whenever we would go out to eat, he'd be like the last person to order. And uh, we'd all order and he'd just pick something super quick. And then when all of our food came, he'd be like, oh, I should have got that. And we, we used to tease him all the time. We're like, why don't you just order what somebody else is ordering and then you won't be dissatisfied. But that's, I mean, that's what it is. Um, when Eve took and ate, she sought satisfaction. But we know the truth. She wasn't satisfied. She was left even more empty than when she started. Sin makes us discontent. Sin tells us we can't trust God. We can't be fulfilled in God. Sin tells us that God is withholding. He doesn't want us to have fun. He doesn't want us to be fulfilled. And so the only way that we're ever going to be content and satisfied is to go against God. Whatever God has told us not to do, we should do the other thing. Otherwise, we're going to be discontent and miss out and we're going to be terrible and life's going to be horrible. And here's the truth. Sin brings short-term pleasure. It does. If it didn't, it wouldn't be tempting. But it comes with a lifetime of misery, pain, and whatever pleasure there was is quickly gone. Sin also separates us from the true source of contentment. You see, God is the true source of contentment. Man was created specifically to glorify and enjoy God. To the glory of God, we're satisfied and content, but only when we're content in Him. And so, contentment is not found in the things of this life, but in the one from whom life has come. We need to remember this. Contentment is found in knowing and following Jesus. And that's the psalmist in Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste, see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? How content is the person who takes refuge in him? And when Jesus was speaking to all of the disciples, I came across this verse recently, and it, it totally spoke to me as I was studying for this. It, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus is saying, those who come to me will be content. He promises you will be satisfied. You will no longer thirst. You see, that's what the world does. The world and, and the, the whole system of the world and sin and everything about this culture we live in is designed and continues to move toward making us think that we're thirsty, hungry, and missing out. Psalm 16 is the song of the one who's found contentment and how they found contentment. So if you'll start with me after that introduction to bring us to, un, to knowing why it's so important that we get this song and we get it in our heart. Let's start in verse one. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord and I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. 
The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. This psalm divides nicely in two sections to talk about how the, the writer of this psalm, David, found contentment. Number one is exclusive trust in God. Exclusive trust in God. This isn't inclusive. This isn't trusting God and everything else to come along with it. This is trusting in God alone. The psalmist writes, he says, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. And then he goes on and he talks about, he says, the sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion, my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That is someone who looks to God for everything that they have and is not looking around and going, God, how come, how come I only have this? How come I don't have that also? So it's a celebration psalm of the joy and contentment that comes from faith in the Lord. The tone of this psalm, it's not of despair. It's not of complaint. It's contented, settled joy. We would be well off if we could take this psalm and make it the song of our heart. And this is a psalm written despite ongoing troubles with David. We know that David spent 13 years being chased by a king who God has already said, I'm taking away the kingdom from him and you are the next king. So then David is on the run and hiding from this guy because he's out to kill him. David had enemies all over the place, but he had exclusive confidence and trust in his God. This Psalm has a new title that we see here. But we also see it in Psalms 56 through 60. We're told that this psalm is a meek tom, which we have no idea exactly what that means, but there are two common thoughts of it. One is that this psalm, a meek tom, is a golden psalm. It's kind of like, this is like the psalm. Like this is a, a thing that you need to have that you have to hold on to. It's golden. And there's another one that's, another belief that says in, in such a time of trouble, this is like a quiet psalm that someone would sing and keep so that they could make it through and they could persevere and that they would hold on to it, not allowing the outside trouble to hear. Um, I like to think of that being like someone in a prison in China singing this psalm while they're suffering 
but not singing it so the guards hear, singing it for their heart. These are, this is a psalm that we can sing to our own heart when we're feeling discontented, when we're feeling like somehow God has forgotten us, left us out, um, not given us everything. He's withholding from us. We, we go back to this psalm and we realize, wait a minute, it's my heart that's wrong. It's a wonderful psalm of David relating to the golden key of contentment and gladness, even in the most pressing times. We don't know the circumstances exactly, but we do know David's life. It's recorded pretty um, much in detail throughout the Psalms, throughout Chronicles, and throughout First uh, Samuel and First Kings. Um, and so, David calls out for protection, and he's not calling out for protection from anything. He says, "Protect me, God." He says, because I take refuge in you. I trust you. I'm coming to you for refuge. Protect me. He's not looking to anything else for refuge. Sometimes we go to God and we say, God, I need you to protect me. But then we also go to another place and we're like, I'm going to use this to protect me. And I also have plan C just in case. David says, God, you're my plan. That's it. There is no plan B. David writes, he says, to the Lord... And if you, in, in your Bible, it's all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps. We know that that means Yahweh, the name of God. And then he says, Lord, you are my Lord. I don't know about you, but when I see that, I'm always thinking, gosh, man, these guys always repeated themselves. Why is he saying that? But then if you look at Lord, you notice that it's lowercase, except for the capital L. Everything else is lowercase. That indicates that it's Lord as in Adonai, Lord and Master, David is saying, God, you are my master. And he says, and I have nothing good besides you. What can we say in our life that if we had to give it up to stay with God, we would? Would it bother us? What do we have in life that we're like, I will not give this up for anybody, not even God? Because if there's something that you have that you are not willing to lay down for God, that you are considering that you have over and above God, then that's taking the place of God. David is saying, and here's the key to contentment, is to have nothing before God. It's exclusive trust in God. He's saying, besides you, God, there's nothing good, there's nothing trustworthy that I have that I can look to for safety or security. Not my 401k, not my pension, not my family, not my inheritance, none of that. God, you're my everything. It's all in you, Lord. I'm all in. See, there's lots of things that prov provide safety and stuff. And, and David, as he's being persecuted and, and chased off by the king, he, he's going, where's my security? Why am I running for my life if I'm safe in God? Have you ever felt like that? Where like everything's falling apart around you and you're like, well, God, I thought you were supposed to protect me. We have all sorts of things that we trust in, right? We that there's a whole industry of safety. Everything comes with its own safety tag, right? Have you ever read some of those safety tags? Like on a chainsaw, don't try to stop chainsaw with your bare hand. And iron, don't try to iron clothes while wearing. <laughs> Children's NyQuil. Caution, may, ca may cause operator to be drowsy. Do not operate heavy machinery. Don't let your kids operate heavy machinery when they're on NyQuil. Any other time is probably fine, though. 
we, we make helmets, we have seat belts, there's health food that we have, we go to doctors, we, get, we, we, we have procedures that try to keep us safe and everything. The truth is, it doesn't matter what we come up with, nothing is keeping us safe other than God. You can wear all the seatbelts you want. If God says it's time to go home, it's time to go home. You, on, on the same side of it, if it's not your time yet, it's not your time. God has given each and every one of us a certain amount of days. God has everything in his hands. He's the only one who can provide shelter, refuge, and protection. Paul, when he wrote Colossians, he wrote this. He says this about, about Christ, who is God. He says, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. God is actually holding everything together right now. We're having a hard time holding everything together, but God isn't. He's holding everything together. If God were to let go, this whole world would crumble at the subatomic level. We must make God our exclusive protector and refuge. And just because he's holding everything together doesn't mean he's so busy either. He can hold everything together while it's still attending to every single person who's calling out to him at the same time. There's no refuge in anything else. We want to find contentment. We can't look to anything else for that contentment. There is nothing good besides God. The psalmist in Psalm 73, 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. It's actually one of my favorite songs that we sing here. Whom have I in heaven but you? And in Psalm 73, 28, it says, but as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. How many of us can say God's presence is my good? How many other things are we living for in this life? Are we living to be in the presence of God? Or are we living for all the different things that the world has to offer? Contentment comes from being in the presence of God of God and that being everything that we want. C.S. Lewis said it best. C.S. Lewis says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. It doesn't matter what you have in this. If you have God, you have everything you need. If you have everything else and you have God, you still have no more than anybody else who has God because God is everything that we need. To have everything without God is to have nothing but to have God without anything is to have everything. And then David goes on, he states, he says, my delight is in the holy people. His delight is found in the very people who are separated unto God, consecrated for God. He trusts the Lord exclusively and he knows that if the people are the people of the Lord and the Lord is with them, that's enough for him to also desire to be with them and in their presence. You all are here tonight to gather with the body of Christ. Why? Because we're all the people of the Lord. We all love the Lord. We've all come to come and be in the presence of the Lord. To David, to trust God exclusively is not to remove himself from community, but rather that he sought community that encourages our trust in God? Do we seek the community that encourages our trust in God? 
Do we spur one another on in our faith in God, our trust in God? Does our community encourage us seeking God? Does our community encourage our relationship with God? Like David, the content person delights in the company of God's people, growing together, encouraging one another in holiness. Contentment comes from being in the presence of God and in the presence of God's people. We're commanded, encouraged, exhorted, however you want to look at it, in Hebrews 10.24, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching, we are to be together as God's people seeking God. That's where our contentment comes from. Whenever I feel discontented, usually comes from being in a lack of community and a lack of fellowship with God's people. Because when I'm with God's people, I'm with other people that encourage me to seek God. And God desires to use each and every one of us to encourage one another. Don't ever think that you're the only one that needs to be encouraged. Sometimes you are the one that God uses to encourage somebody else and you don't even know it. We have to seek out and delight to be in the presence of the people of God. That's a hard one, right? We don't always delight to be in, God, in the presence of God's people because sometimes God's people are flawed. We forget that they have failings and shortcomings and there's scandals that come with it and embarrassments and there's trouble. But we have to come to the point where we're not so judgmental and negative about God's people that you cannot see any excellence in them and that you're unable to delight in them in being around them. Sometimes we focus so much on the negative, we start to go, you know what? I don't really want to be around that person. And we start to think that they're like so awful and we forget about ourselves that if someone were to look at us in the same way, they could see us just as awful. We have no good besides God. That's the truth of it. And here's a simple test for those who love and trust the Lord as their Lord. They delight in the company of those who also love and trust the Lord, no matter what. There is no better place to be when you're a person of God, someone who's given their life to God and put their trust in God than to be around the people of God. We have that conference coming up. I love conferences, and here's why. There's nothing like being in a room full of people that desire nothing more than to know that they're in the presence of the Lord. Hearing the whole a whole area, arena of people desiring to praise God. The cool thing is here at this church, everybody sings and I get to hear it all the time. And the only thing that increases at the conference is the amount of people. But there's just something about being in the presence of God's people as everyone's seeking the Lord. It's something that God has specifically ordained to be a place where we feel satisfied and content. David knows, and we've seen it before, David knows that this life lived for God, it's not guaranteed to be easier. We know that, right? I know it's a, a thing that I, I try to push out as often as possible, that just because you give your life to God, 
doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky-dory. This life comes with trials and troubles and sorrows. The troubles faced by those who follow and exclusively trust God, they're there. But like David said, those sorrows are nothing compared to the sorrows of those who follow after other gods. There's many other gods that you can follow. There's the God of career. There's the God of self. There's the God of money. There's the God of fame. There's the God of whatever it is other than the Lord God, the living almighty God, whatever you chase after. When you come up against trouble in this life, when you come up against it, you have nothing solid to hold on to. And therefore, the sorrows that come along with all those troubles are greatly multiplied. Think about the, the times. Maybe you're in a time right now where, where life is just not treating you well, but you have God. Think of the joy that that brings and the sorrows that that minimizes. Now imagine if you had no God to turn to. How much more hopeless and desperate would your situation be? It's even more difficult to follow after false gods and to observe with false worship. Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 66, said, from the moment many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Jesus turned to the 12. He says, what? You don't want to go away too, do you? In verse 68, Simon Peter answers. He says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the point that we need to get to. That's when you know that you found that contentment in God exclusively is when you're faced with anything and you could turn away from God because life has gotten so hard. If you can turn away from God and follow after anything else, you're not content in God. But when you're content in God, no matter how life is going, you say, this is the best. Nothing else comes close. Then you know you found contentment in God. Even when he comes across with hard teachings. To whom shall we go? Who else can we go to? And that's what David declares to the Lord. He says, Lord, again, using the name Yahweh. He says, you are my portion, my cup of blessing. You hold my future. And the New King James bring this out a little bit more in that understanding of verse 5. The New King James says, Oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The Lord alone is the portion of David's inheritance and cup. The Lord maintains his allotment, meaning the Lord makes his allotment secure. How many of us complain about where we're at in life? what we have in life, where God has placed us in life. Not someone who says, God, whatever lot you gave me is not good enough. Because we're looking for our contentment in the world as apart from God. Again, no matter what you have in the world, if you have God, you have all that you need. No matter what you don't have in the world, if you have God, you have all that you need. We have to get to the point like David where we say, God, you are my portion. You are my cup of blessing, not what I have, 
not where I can go, not, you know, not how many kids I have, not how big of my, my house is, not how green my grass is, none of that. You, God. And then David says that you, Lord, are my assigned portion of inheritance. When God apportioned the land in the book of Joshua, there was a lot of boundaries that were made. And as you look at the land, you go, wow, that tribe got a huge amount. That tribe got a little amount. And every amount and every border and everything that was done out as they surveyed that land was cast by lot. It's a, a wonderful game of chance that they believed God controlled, which he did. There was one tribe, however, they did not receive an inheritance of land. The tribe of Levi, the priests of God. They didn't receive any ownership. They didn't receive any portion. This is what God told Aaron in Numbers 18.20. The Lord told Aaron, you will not have an inheritance in their land if I was Aaron, I'd be, Psh, I'm done. You're not going to give me nothing? Forget it. Right? How many of us have that? <laughs> but then what, what does God say? He says, there will be no portion among them for you. And then he says, I am your portion and your inheritance among the Israelites. There's no piece of land that was better than having the inheritance of the Lord as their portion. Theologian John Calvin said this, he says, for he who has God as his portion is destitute of nothing, which is requisite to constitute a happy life. Very wordy way of saying, exclusively trust God and you will be content. Make God your portion and you will have all that you ever need. You will never lack anything. You will never be wanting for anything. You will never... Um, feel like you are being left out. David's words speak of contentment, being content with what God has allotted for him. Like back in the garden, Satan desires to tempt us. Oh, God just gave you a small allotment. He doesn't like you as much as he likes the other people. That's why they're allotted more. He speaks those things into our ear. We have the choice of whether we're going to listen to it or not. And when we don't trust God exclusively and we start listening to the serpent and that voice that says that we deserve more or that God is withholding or God is not good and we start to not trust God exclusively, that's when we become discontent. And we become so discontent, we go outside of the will of God to get what we feel like we deserve, what we feel like would fulfill us. And then we find out once again I don't know how many times I had to find that out, but I went through this cycle where I had to keep finding out the world has nothing to offer. Whatever it promises you never will satisfy or fulfill you. It's kind of like eating candy for dinner. Sounds great, tastes good, but later on in the middle of the night, you're hungry, but if you have all these extra calories, you eat anything else and you start blowing up like a balloon. Don't settle for the empty calories of the world. Get full on God. Like David, when you make the Lord your exclusive trust, when you have him, you have everything you could ever want, you have everything you could ever need, and you have true contentment. The second half of this psalm 
are the benefits of trusting in God. You thought, oh, I thought all I got was the fact that God was content, would make me content and satisfy me. Well, that's a benefit in itself, but there's other benefits that come from that when you trust God exclusively. David says, I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I will always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. And in your presence is abundant joy. And at your right hand are eternal pleasures. See, like David, our exclusive trust in the Lord, it's not based on anything but trusting in the Lord. However, when you trust in the Lord, he has promised to bless. And there's several blessings that come from exclusively trusting the Lord. The first of which is the enjoyment of counsel and guidance. When you trust the Lord exclusively, you're going to go to his word and you're going to say, God, what do you have? And he's going to counsel you and he's going to guide you. Even in those times when you're up late at night and you have the weight of the world upon you, who else can counsel you in that time? Can any self-help book tell you, hey, here's what's going to happen on the other side of this life with what you're worried about? Where's your life headed? What's your legacy? There's no self-help book for that. But there is a book that God gave us that says, here's how you live a life that lasts for eternity. The word there for his thoughts, where he says, um, when my thoughts trouble me, the word for thoughts is literally in Hebrews, it means kidneys. When my kidneys trouble me. You may have kidney trouble, but the Lord can counsel you in that. But what it means is that's the uh, center of the person's being. We say our heart, when our heart troubles us. They would say when our kidneys trouble us. It refers to the innermost personal life, the most secret part. You know that part where you never tell anybody what scares you, what troubles you, what deeply concerns you? You don't share it with anybody, therefore nobody can counsel it. God knows it's there and he will counsel and guide you in those thoughts. Night is plural also. In the Hebrew, that word for night is plural. And this is indicating that it's nights where my thoughts trouble me. Night after night after night after night where I'm troubled, the Lord continues to counsel me. There was a certain age that I got to. I forget exactly what age it was, but um, it's been a while now. It hasn't bothered me since. But there was a, a time where I grew increasingly aware of mortality, of the end of life, of things going on. I used to watch all these shows that always, you know, cops and robbers shoot them up, people dying, this and that. I have to solve all the different deaths and this and that. And it got me thinking about death and I started going, man, what's death going to be like? And I started getting so consumed with it. There's nobody that can counsel you in that. But the Lord's word where he promises that he will not leave us where the Lord promises us that if we trust in him, though we might die, we will live. 
where the Lord speaks through his apostle Paul, who says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Then we have counsel for those times. In Psalm 77, verse 6, the psalmist says, At night I remember my music. I meditate in my heart. My spirit ponders. This isn't talking about someone who, who is trying to get down this song and, oh, at night I can all of a sudden remember how to play the song. No, it's saying at night when my troubles come, I remember my music. Music is soothing to the heart, depending on what music you sing. I learned this growing up before I was ever a Christian. Uh, my mom pointed out to me, I used to listen to angry music all the time. And she's like, you listen to angry music? You are angry. When you listen to God's music and you have worship of God, that soothes your heart for those times of trouble. I remember my music and I meditate in my heart. My spirit ponders. When you exclusively trust in the Lord, his word becomes precious and his word becomes desirable to you. That's where your counsel comes from. You start devouring his word and it starts becoming in your heart. At night, when you have the troubles, the word comes up in your heart and you are being counseled to. We think it's, oh, it's just because I read my Bible, now I'm remembering it, but it's really the spirit at work in our life. You get the counsel needed to sustain you during those times of difficulty and the times that are troubling. The Lord goes before you. That's, David says, I let the Lord guide me. I always let the Lord guide me. Do we always let the Lord guide us? Can we pinpoint the times that we do and that we don't? Because I think that if you do that and you look at the times in which you let the Lord guide you, you realize, hey, no matter what I came up against, this was a much better path than the one I chose for myself. Literally, it means what David is saying is, I will follow the Lord wherever he goes. The decision to set the Lord before him and trust him exclusively, it comes with a cost. We need to understand that. To choose to follow the Lord exclusively, it comes with a cost that we follow nothing else. The cost has to be acknowledged. The cost has to be appreciated. The cost has to be understood. The cost can be something you're giving up pleasures. Hey, these things are pleasurable to me. And God says, you know what? You shouldn't do that anymore. It causes you problems. Do we argue with the Lord or do we say, okay, I'll follow you? We give up our popularity. God says, stop trying to be who the people want you to be. I need you to follow me. Don't follow the crowds. Can we go in anonymity? If people don't recognize anything that we do in our life, if for some odd reason, Instagram, Facebook, and all those places where we like to put all of our meals, if those all went away and nobody cared what we were eating, would that be okay? Can we trust our relationships to God? I trusted my relationships to God, and I'm not trying to say that I, I, I gain this thing because there's times where I give it to God and there's times where I take it back. But there was a time in which I gave my relationships to God because I was tired of the people I was picking. And he made it hard. I didn't, have, I didn't date anybody for six years while he changed my mind, changed my heart, changed everything about me and made me the kind of person that Luana would like. He had to change me into somebody that she would go for as opposed to 
bringing me to somebody that I wanted. Can we trust God with that? Can we trust God with our goals in life? God, I have this, I'm, I'm gonna do this. After I reach this goal, then I'll follow you, God. It's kind of like the person who says, Lord, let me follow you, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, can't, you can't do that. If you're going to follow me, you have to do it now. There's no time to come back later. Do we trust God with our career path? Sometimes in order to follow God, it means we make choices within our career path. We're not available 24-7 for our jobs because God calls us to be at home with our family. God calls us to be leaders. God calls us to be in church. God calls us to be in fellowship. Can we trust him with that? What about with our finances? Can we trust God with our finances? It's a hard one. There's choices that are made when you follow God. Despite the cost, though, David says that because the Lord is at his right hand, he will not be shaken. When you trust God with your finances, when, when the layoffs come and you get that pink slip, it's just God saying, hey, we're done with this. We're going to go do something else now. It's not an easy thing. I've gone through it twice. The first time I, I, if I was grading myself, I would say I probably failed because I got a certain amount of severance when I was laid off and I didn't rest a single day of that severance. I hadn't had a vacation or anything like that. I hadn't taken any time. I'd been working so hard and so far from my family as, as I was going through that, that when I got laid off, the first thing I did the next day was I got up and I started looking for another job without taking any time to just kind of breathe and wonder, God, why did you take it from me? The second time I got laid off, I went home and took a nap. That's what I did. I walked through the door and I said, I'm tired. <laughs> and I took a nap and I enjoyed time with my family and I didn't worry about it. And you know what? The Lord was there both times but it's because I went through the hard time first that I could trust God the second time. So sometimes we go through hard things and we might go through it again because God is like, hey, let me show you how far you've come. When we trust in the Lord exclusively, no matter what happens in our world, we will not be shaken because we're on solid ground. No matter the cost, I will be stable. I will not be shaken. I will not waver. I will not be made to move. When you trust the Lord exclusively, you will receive his stability in trials and troubles. Because of the steady counsel, the steady guidance, and the solid ground to stand upon, David says his heart is glad and his whole being rejoices. If that's not contentment, if that's not satisfaction, I don't know what is. But I mean, when my heart is glad and my entire being, my whole self rejoices, that's when we realize that the benefits of following God are greater than the costs of following God. David uh, is glad and he rejoices and even says, my body rests securely. That's why when I got laid off the second time, I could go home and rest because my trust was in the Lord. I can rest securely. It's in his hands. I think this is what Paul was getting at in Romans 8.38. He says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
If we find our hole in God, there's nothing that can separate us from him. Because you know, apart from God, everything else is created, right? And that's what Paul's getting at. He says, no other created thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. David's final words in this psalm understand, uh, uh, indicates that he understood that the benefits of exclusively trusting God comes in this life and goes beyond this life. Sheol, he says, you will not leave me in Sheol. Sheol is the place where the dead reside. David is saying, you will not leave me dead. He's confident that God never abandoned him before and will not abandon him even in death. That's what God was getting at when he talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know why he says it that way? Because they're alive today. They are in the presence of the Lord. God is the God of the living. He is not the God of the dead. David says, you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Faithful one, pious one, someone characterized by a fierce, exclusive, loyal, trusting love of God. And to see decay, the, the original language means to see the grave, the place where the body will decay. You will not leave me in the grave. He's again reiterating that God will not leave him dead. In fact, he goes on to say, he says, you reveal the path of life. To those who trust exclusively in the Lord, the path of life is revealed. That's where Jesus says, believe in me and my name, and though you may die, you will live forever. You know what the path of life is, though? The path of life is in the presence of God. You want to live? You have to be in front of the one who gives life. Abundant joy, contentment, and gladness, it can be had now and forever in the presence of the Lord. We have the ability to be content now, and we're going to be content for all of eternity. We can't even fathom what that is because we have such a limited ability to be content right now in this life that we don't know what it would be like to be ultimately satisfied for all of eternity. But we see, it says he gives eternal pleasures. The pleasures of this life are, are fleeting. They're, they're, they're here and then they're gone. They're ever running away from us. He gives us eternal pleasures, pleasures that are forever, that are, have no beginning, no end. It, it goes on because he gives it. And the right hand, it's always the place of dignity. He gives us out of his right hand the eternal pleasures. We get to be at his right hand of dignity. David's contentment in this psalm is a stark contrast to his son, Solomon. His son, Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the memoir, if you will, of his life lived after vain pursuit of all of the worldly glory. He said he was the wisest man who ever lived, but I don't know about that. He had 700 wives. It's not wise in my book. One wife is, is perfect, completely content. 
Solomon at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes came to this summation. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. It says, in all of, in the richest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived, had everything. There was nothing that was kept from him, but he was dissatisfied throughout the entire life. He looked at everything and all he could use to describe everything, the choicest of what the world had to offer. He said, vanity of vanities. It's like grasping for the wind. The only thing that has any substance, any staying power, is in the presence of God. Now this psalm is also a messianic psalm. It has a fulfillment in Christ. The key to understanding this psalm, we find it um, laid out for us by two apostles. Both Peter and Paul refer back to this psalm in the book of Acts. The ultimate contentment is fulfilled in Christ. They were not fulfilled in David. And here's why. He says, you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. David died and decayed. There's only one who died and never saw decay. He was the son of David. As he quoted this passage, Peter shows a sophisticated understanding of Jesus' work on the cross. Because Jesus died on the cross, he bore our sin. Yet he bore our sin without himself becoming a sinner. He remained the Holy One, even in death. God's Holy One is not bound by death. The resurrection becomes inevitable. And that's what Peter said. He said in Acts 2.24, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. It was not possible for Christ to be held by death because he was the Holy One. That's the promise of God. Jesus remained God's Holy One despite the cross. It shows that Jesus bore the penalty of sin without becoming a sinner, and it shows that the payment for sin was complete. That's what Jesus said on the cross, to tell us die. It is finished. Paul, in Acts 13, he says, therefore, he also says to another, in another passage, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he died, he was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that though this man's Forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed that through this man, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified through the law of Moses. You cannot find contentment in this life even by following the law of Moses. It's only in the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. I reiterate the content life. It's not a problem free life. It's a life with probable challenges, definite troubles, and attacks on every level. Yet the one who exclusively trusts in God lives a content, secure, happy, and blessed life. The promise comes in Jesus Christ, who promised and said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger again and will never thirst again. 
If you want contentment in this life, you have to hold on tightly to Christ. He has to be your everything. He has to be the one you trust in. There can be nothing else. We cannot say, I trust Christ. But when trouble hits, we go to something else. We say, wait a minute, I trust Christ with everything except for I can't do that. We trust Christ with everything. That's where we find the contentment for this life from. And if you have never found contentment in this life, it's probably because you don't have Christ as your Savior. And I will invite you tonight to find contentment in this life. Come to Christ and find that you will be filled. You are satisfied. That that deep longing that you have in your soul, that emptiness that you feel, that you feel will be filled when you come to Christ. That's the promise. That's what Christ said. Come to me and you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. And it's as simple as coming to him and just believing in him as the holy one sent by God, whom God raised from the dead, who promises forgiveness. And if we ask him for forgiveness, he promises to give it to us. It says, if we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and as we look at this passage, Lord, I pray that you would help us to put this passage deep in our heart, Father God, so that in those times where we start to feel that discontentment that this world desires for us to feel, that discontentment that the enemy wants to bring up in us, that discontentment that comes when we stop trusting you, Father God, help us to turn back to this and, and, and come and, and agree like David said. Lord, protect me because I seek refuge in you. May we seek refuge in you, Father God, and seek refuge in your son, Jesus, whom you sent to die on the cross for our sins, Father God. The one who promises to, again, coming back for us, coming and taking us to him, that he's going to go prepare a place for us so that when he's done, he can come back and bring us with him so that where he is, we may be also. That's the promise from him, Father. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to give our lives completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.